I have two uh, themes that I want to try to develop with you this morning that uh, may sound unrelated, but hopefully they'll come together uh, in the end. The first is what we'll call sacred courage, and the second we'll call sacred envy. Has it ever occurred to you that Jesus, at least in his adulthood, led a terrible life? He was constantly being threatened by people all around him. He was, uh, it was only two or three weeks ago, we read a gospel lesson in which his hometown folks wanted to throw him off a cliff. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, all the temple authorities, they were after him. They wanted him gone. He had a traitor in, in his inner circle. And today we hear that Herod wanted him dead. Against all of that, Jesus said, tell Herod, I got work to do. I'm busy. And it's important work. And so maybe he'll have his day, but today is my day. I think that took courage. Herod was no one to fool with. He was a pretty brutal guy. Incidentally, for what it's worth, in the ancient world, the term fox was a pejorative term. Foxes weren't clever, they were sneaky. Did their work in dark corners. So um, Jesus, in a sense, turns his back on the threat. And that's a kind of a courage. And I'm gonna say that it, that kind of courage exists because the cause is holy. The cause is sacred. It's God's cause. We worship Jesus, we revere Jesus for many reasons. The way he dealt with the poor, the way he proclaimed the nearness of God, the way he lived his life, the way he died, the way God reached down and pulled him back from the grave. But also perhaps we can revere Jesus for his courage, holy courage. You know, courage comes from uh, a Latin word, core, which means heart. So courage of this sort is heartfelt. It's heartfelt commitment to that which really, really matters. Renee Brown, who's a, a, a management consultant in uh, Texas has written a bunch of books and uh, she views courage as a leading indicator of what it takes to be a leader. It takes courage and moreover she says that the, the doorway to courage, what allows this kind of courage to exist is vulnerability. You have to put yourself out there. You have to be willing to take the risk. People may laugh People may try to do harm, but if the cause is just, if it's God's cause, that's courage. That is holy courage. One way we can, there are many, many examples through history. Martin Luther King, the most obvious that comes to mind. But today, because it's today, we can talk about St. Patrick as an example. 
St. Patrick did not, in fact, invent green beer. The truth is I don't know that that's true, but I think that that's true, and so it must be true. Nor did he drive snakes out of uh, Ireland except in a kind of metaphorical way. But here, here's what he did. He was the son of a Roman soldier and his wife who were stationed in England in the fifth century. Uh, and because it was the fifth century, the, the, the family was Christian. Uh, at age 16, Patrick was captured by some Irish raiders, carried off to Ireland and imprisoned, enslaved in Ireland. And, and, and remained a slave for five years, tending the herds and doing the household chores and the things that slaves did. And he escaped uh, after five years and made his way back to, to England, back to home. And the five years caused him to reflect on the Christian religion that he had been taught as a child and made him want to take it more seriously. So he went off and studied uh, for ordination and was ordained a priest in the uh, church. But he thought it was his calling, his cause, to go back to Ireland and teach them about Christianity. Because what existed there was this pre-Christian Celtic uh, spirituality, and they, which didn't know Christ. So he went back. And he was brutalized. He was thrown into prison. He was beaten. He was put in chains by the Irish who just didn't understand what this person had in mind. Moreover, he spoke Celtic, which is why he wanted to go back, and he understood the ways of the people, so he thought it would be a natural fit. And so the church authorities back in England and back in Rome thought he was a little bit crazy because Everybody knows the, in the fifth century, the language of the church is Latin, and there he was out speaking, speaking uh, Celtic. But he did some amazing things that I suppose is what made him a saint and important to us today. Because he was able to find ways to use that pre-Christian Celtic sensibility that related it to Christianity. So for example, uh, Celtic, Christi Celtic spirituality is very, very in engaged with the sacredness of all creation. Creation care, we would call it today. And he could see that that was precisely what God was about because God created the world. God created everything. And, and, and one result of that for us today is the whole notion of creation care, which is alive and well in this church and many, many others. Moreover, in, a, in small symbolic ways, like for example, the, the flowers, although it's Lent, we don't have flowers, the arrangements that appear on the altar are a sort of a vestigial remembrance of the care of those early Celtic Christians for creation. Music. Our tradition values music more highly, I think, than any other, and that's a result of the fact that so did those early Celtic Christians value, value music. And that behind me is a cross with a circle around it. That particular circle happens to be style, uh, stylized thorns, 
But you know a Celtic cross when you see one, it has a circle around it. Well, St. Patrick said, since the early Celts uh, worshiped the sun along with the moon and along with trees and everything else that was natural, the sun, Jesus is the sun and therefore the sun should go on the cross. And today, even until today, that circle represents the sun and helped those early Celts to understand Christianity in a way that made sense to them. Which brings me to the whole idea of holy envy. Christer Stendhal is a, was, a, uh, was a New Testament scholar, dean of the Harvard Divinity School, uh, Bishop of, of uh, Stockholm. And he made a very, he made a speech that's made the rounds um, very, very uh, important, more important probably than all the books he wrote, and there were a lot of them. In this, in this speech he said, as we, as the world gets smaller, we encounter other faith traditions. And here are three rules to remember when we come in touch with, when we consider other faith traditions. The first rule is this, always ask the inheritance of the faith, not their detractors. Second rule is, don't compare our best to their worst. Do it the other way around. And lastly, he said, leave room for holy envy. Holy envy. Now what he means by that is this, that every faith tradition has aspects that are really, really valuable, really important. And we can learn, all of us can learn from one another about those uh, aspects. And, and maybe our own tradition will be improved as we learn from others. A fast example is uh, I envy the prayer rituals of Islam. A, a, a devout uh, uh, Muslim goes aside five times a day and says a prayer. It's a very short prayer, doesn't take a lot of time. Basically it says, uh, as Andy said in the pulpit a few weeks ago, uh, 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 God you are great and you are God and I am not. Something we should all remember five times a day, maybe more. The uh, prayer line, you know that you, you know, you've all seen pictures of the prayer line in a mosque where uh, all, the, all the faithful are lined up uh, uh, praying together on their knees. It's a fairly, it's a very egalitarian practice because you don't get to pick which line you're in. You, as people come in, they just fall in line wherever they are. And they might be kneeling next to a pauper or a president. You just don't know who's going to be next to you in line. And before you tell me that women aren't part of that line, that's true, but maybe that's something they could learn from us, right? Meanwhile, we can learn from them something about the egalitarian nature of their prayer. So beginning next week, the ushers are going to just start over here. <laughs> you're not allowed to sit in the pew. You're, you have to sit with whoever came in before. Now. I'm just kidding. Holy envy the willingness to accept the fact that we don't have all the answers. And there are other traditions that have some pretty good ideas from which we can learn. And we have to have the holy courage to embrace that.
So I put all that together. I probably had that in the bag by Wednesday, and then New Zealand happened. One more gratuitous attack on innocent people at worship. Happens too often, doesn't it? It's brought back memories of a synagogue in Pittsburgh or an AME church in Charleston, or for that matter, attacks on faithful people around the world. In the name of religion, I suppose, I think it's more often in the name of the alien other. Some need to cleanse society, I suppose. It's hateful. It's hateful. But you know, what can we do? We're just us. What can we do? Well, perhaps we're called, whenever we overhear or oversee hateful slurs against other people, perhaps we need the holy courage to call them out and to say, it's just not, that's just not us. It's just not the way we are. It's not easy to confront someone, but I know darn good and well that sometime at work or in the grocery store or dining in a, a restaurant or sometimes even around the dining room table, somebody says something that is downright offensive and I'm the first one to just kind of let it pass because I'm a peacemaker. But maybe we shouldn't be so ready to do that. We don't want to stop, put an end to hateful rhetoric rhetoric because it's a nice thing to do or because it offends our sensibilities or because it's not in accordance with the First Amendment. We need to stop that stuff because it's a sin against the gospel. It takes courage, I know. But it's up to us. Courage is, is contagious. And acting courageously, especially in the light of some kind of speech like that, catches on and spreads. And we do it because that talk is downright sinful. Jesus said, it's not what a man puts in his mouth that defiles. It's what comes out of a person's mouth that defiles, for it comes from within, from the heart. And that is where evil comes from. And if we can, each individually in our own small ways, stand up against hate speech, then it can perhaps be said about us, blessed is the one as Jesus said, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Amen.